What's up, my friends? Welcome to Good Human, a show on the Cheap Seats Network where we chat about wellness, lifestyle, navigating this crazy world, and just doing our best to be a good human. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Good Human. How are you doing? How are you feeling? I hope you're having a really great day. And if you're not having a really great day, that's okay too. I hope tomorrow is a better day for you. (laughs) Did that rhyme? You know what they say, Abby Wellner, motivational poet. It's been a minute since we last chit-chatted, since we last got together. I think it's been like three weeks since I uploaded an episode. You know, I just, it wasn't flowing, I wasn't feeling it, and I don't want to put out content that I'm not feeling or content that is going to be lame and like forced, so we just rode out the wave and here we are today. Back at it. Today we are chit-chatting all about hormones. I'm going to run through 10 things I am currently doing to support my hormones. I'm sure I've mentioned before on multiple episodes of this podcast that I've been having hormonal issues, hormonal imbalances, because it has truly taken up so much of my life in the last two years. I don't know if I like fully ever ran through the whole story before. I will in a future episode for sure, just to like recap, because I am getting my hormones tested again. So hopefully I'm going to have some answers about what's the 411 inside inside my body. What's she doing? What's going on? Long story short though, I've been having symptoms of hormone imbalances since like summer of 2020. And so it's been an interesting ride trying to figure out what's going on and why I'm having these symptoms. And I have learned so much about my body and about my hormones and about my menstrual cycle over the last two years. So I'm going to run through 10 of the things that I have sort of learned that I incorporate into my life to help support my hormones. Real quick though, I do have a story about getting my hormones tested because it has not been easy. Because why are things ever easy, you know? Why wouldn't, why would things be simple and easy when they can be hard and annoying? Am I right? At the end of March, I ordered a hormone test kit and I had an appointment scheduled with a naturopath for late April. And I was like, this is perfect. I'll do the hormone testing. I'll get the results back and I can discuss them with the naturopath at the end of April. The thing about the hormone testing is you have to do it at a certain point in your cycle. Like you can't just do it whenever. Has to be like five to seven days after you ovulate. So there is a specific time that you have to wait and then take the test. So that puts me like the first few days of April. I take the test. I do all the things. I pee on all the strips. I send it back and it's a little packaging via UPS. All right. Prepaid shipping label. Easy peasy, right? Wrong. I take it to the UPS store. I don't get a tracking number. Like I don't. They're like, do you want a receipt? And I'm like, no. I always say no. Never in my life never in my life has anything ever gotten lost in the mail. But as I'm driving away from the UPS store, I'm like, this was really important to me. Perhaps I should have said yes to the receipt to get the tracking number to make sure that it gets there. But again, I'm working off of past experiences. I'm doing what my therapist tells me to do, okay? And in the past, nothing has ever gotten lost in the mail. So what would be the odds that this gets lost in the mail? So I'm waiting. A week goes by. I don't hear anything. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like, how long does it take to get these results back? I'm Googling it. I'm seeing like five to 10 days. And I'm like, okay, we got time. Two weeks pass. 
nothing. Three weeks pass, and it's almost time for my one-on-one appointment with the naturopath to go over the results that I have not received. So I call this company, and I'm like, hey, hey, queen, I haven't gotten my results back. When is that going to happen? And she looks at my information, and she goes, we haven't received your tests back yet. (laughs) And I was like, "Mm, interesting, because I I did ship them back three weeks ago, so what's the likelihood that you will get them. What is this common? And she's like, to be honest, it depends, but like three weeks is kind of a long time. I start tearing up, of course, because this was like one of my last ditch efforts to figure out what's going on with me. Not to mention that this test was very expensive. Not to mention that the appointment with the naturopath was expensive. She goes, we'll email you. We'll email you when we get your tests. I was like, that would be so good. Thank you so much. So now I have to contact the naturopath to say like, hey, I don't I don't have the results to go over with you during our scheduled appointment. Uh, can we reschedule? She was lovely about it. It's all good and fine. She was like, oh my gosh, no worries. We'll get you an appointment as soon as you get your results. So I'm like, okay, great. But here's the thing. I don't think I'm getting the results. Like, I don't think they are arriving I think they've been lost in the mail. So I give it like one more week, no email from the company. They haven't gotten tests. So I send them an email explaining my whole situation. Like I'm literally in tears because A, it's expensive. B, because you have to do it at a certain point within your cycle, it pushes the timeline back. So like I would have to get it done this month now during that part in my cycle. If not, I'm looking at a whole month later So it just, it was very frustrating. They were like, girl, no worries. We'll send you a replacement test kit. And I was like, thank you so much. You literally don't know how much this means to me. I received this new test kit like two days before I have to take the tests. It was perfect, right on time. I was able to redo all the tests, pee on all the strips again. And then last week I took it to the UPS store and I shipped it out, and I got a tracking number, and I have been tracking that thing like four times a day, looking at the looking at the updates, making sure it's en route. So that's where we're at now. I am just crossing every single finger and toe that I have that these tests get there, and they send me my results back. I don't know what happened the first time with them not getting there. I thought I did something wrong, like maybe the label wasn't prepaid. No, it was, and I I don't know. So I'm just really, really hoping that everything goes fine this time. I get my results back soon and then I will be able to see what's up, chat with a naturopath, and then hopefully be on a path to healing myself. I already know my thyroid doesn't work properly because I had my hormones tested in 2020 and it came back that my thyroid doesn't work properly. She's underactive. She doesn't want to do what she's supposed to do. So I already know that is probably still happening. Um, My cortisol levels were insanely high when I got my hormones tested in 2020, and I think those were the main two things that came back. That was a blood test, though, and this is, like I said, a urine test. So I'm interested to see what comes back. What's the 411? Why do I have all these symptoms? And let's get it fixed. In the meantime, though, there are a handful of, more than a handful, like so many things that I've been focused on doing and incorporating into my life to support my hormone health in general until I can figure out the specifics of what the heck is going on in my body. So that's what we're going to chat about today. 10 things I'm doing to support my hormones. Let's dive in. 
I'm going to take you from the start of my day to the end of my day and the things that I'm doing throughout to help support my hormones. And the first thing that I am doing that I have been doing for over a year now is tracking my basal body temperature. There's lots of reasons why someone would track their cycle. One of the main reasons why I track my cycle is to make sure that I'm ovulating every month. I've learned just so much about my body that I had absolutely no idea about until like a year ago and ovulation is one of those things that I didn't ever understand. I was on birth control for nine years, hormonal birth control pills for nine years and you don't ovulate when you're on hormonal birth control. That's like the point of it. Your ovulation is suppressed. So I didn't know anything about ovulation but there's like recent evidence that ovulation is a sign of health. So Other biomarkers of health are like your blood pressure, your heart rate, things that can be used to identify the status of your health. And recently, ovulation has been said to be a sign of health. So again, this is if you're not on hormonal birth control because that's the point of birth control. It makes it so that you don't ovulate, so that you don't get pregnant. I got off the pill in January of 2021, which was like six months after all of my hormonal changes and like these imbalances and symptoms of stuff going on started popping up and so that's part of the reason why I decided to get off of birth control. I know getting off of birth control, getting on birth control is a very personal choice. So again, tracking your ovulation is important for me now that I'm not on birth control. I want to ensure that I'm ovulating each month and you can tell if when you've ovulated by your temperature. So you take your temperature around the same time every morning. I just do it around like 7, 7.30 when I wake up and you know that you've ovulated when your temperature has risen. So your temperature rises in response to progesterone, which is the hormone that's released after you ovulate. So I could go way more into that because there's just so many interesting facets of this stuff that I've learned about recently, but that is why I track my basal body temperature. You can Google more about it if you want. All of this is just so fascinating to me because I don't know about anybody else, but I was literally not taught any of this stuff. So that was number one. That's the first thing I do to support my hormones when I wake up in the morning. Number two on my list is eating breakfast within about an hour of waking up. I know intermittent fasting used to be all the rage. I don't know if that's still a really popular thing. I don't really follow things on social media regarding like dieting and stuff like that anymore. So I don't know if that's still something common that people are doing. But I know a couple years ago, intermittent fasting was like that girl, like... Everybody was intermittent fasting and a lot of studies have showed that fasting, it doesn't work the same for people with a period as it does for people without a period. It's not supportive of our hormones in the same way. It doesn't have those same benefits as it might have for someone that doesn't have a period. So eating breakfast within like an hour of waking up, it's important for your blood sugar, for your insulin levels, all of which are related to your hormones. So ideally, And again, this is ideally because I'll dive into, I'm not hungry in the mornings, I can't eat breakfast because I've been there. But ideally, you should be having like a decent sized meal, not like 200, 300 calories, a little protein bar, a banana, like a good substantial meal in the morning that's higher in fat and higher in protein. So I have two pieces of like big sourdough bread, which has protein in it with avocado, that's my fat. I do eggs for protein. I love putting like thinly sliced cucumber on it and then a drizzle of olive oil for more fat. Oh, it's so delicious. 
it keeps me so full and satisfied all morning and I literally wake up craving it now. I used to be the person that's like, I can't eat in the morning. I would kind of unintentionally intermittent fast until like noon or one o'clock simply because I really wasn't hungry. And just like anything, you have to give yourself time to adjust to something new. It's totally not realistic if you're not used to eating breakfast to start having like a huge meal at 8 a.m. I get it. That's not going to happen. So start having something small like an hour or two hours after you wake up and work your way up to a full-size breakfast. And that's what I did. I went from literally not getting hungry until noon, one. Sometimes I would go into like three o'clock to now I'm really hungry within 30 to 60 minutes of waking up. Which leads me into the next one. Number three, food before caffeine. Or at the very least, food with caffeine. Like have your caffeine with a meal in the morning. I personally know how horrible I feel when I drink caffeine without any food in my stomach. And I think I was really used to feeling horrible all the time. Like when I reflect back on a lot of this stuff and the way I used to live my life, I think feeling horrible was my normal for most of my day-to-day. And there are a lot of reasons why caffeine first thing in the morning with no food in your stomach can make you feel horrible. One of them is increasing your cortisol, which is your stress hormone, which already tends to be higher in the morning. It's higher in the morning and lower in the evening. So raising your already high cortisol levels in the morning obviously is not ideal. And too much of that cortisol, the stress hormone, can end up leading to other issues. You'll probably hear me mention cortisol again because it's a really big part of supporting my hormone health, managing my stress levels. So cortisol is a big one for me. So I always make sure that I'm not having caffeine on an empty stomach. I usually will drink it with my breakfast. Next up is number four, walking. And ideally outside for some extra benefits. This is another one where cortisol comes into play. There are certain workouts that aren't the most beneficial for certain parts of your cycle. Your body, as someone who menstruates, is doing different things basically every week of a four-week cycle. So there are certain times where certain workouts are more beneficial than others. And as someone who was doing heavy weight training and HIIT workouts just every day, every week, all the time, I was burning myself out. So not only have I kind of taken a step back from that, but I've incorporated a lot more low-impact workouts like walking. And don't underestimate the power of a good walk, all right? Just because it's low-impact doesn't mean it's not like a good workout and you don't feel accomplished afterwards, you don't break a sweat. I'm sweating, all right? I'm sweating on my hot girl walks. It's also great for my mental health. I love to get outside and get some sunshine. It's really great for me midday. I try to get in a walk in like, the later afternoon. It's great to de-stress from work. Just like step away for a minute if you can. Get some sun, put on some good tunes. I created a whole um, hot girl walk playlist on Spotify that is the jam if I do say so myself. It's like five hours of just the best songs to strut to. It's on Spotify. It's called On a Hot Girl Walk, Don't Text. But I don't think it comes up when you search it. I don't think it has enough likes for it to like pop up that way. So if you go on Spotify and search my username, it's WellnerARW, it should pop right up. Put your little headphones on, get your little booty outside, and take a hot girl walk. Next up on the list is number five, and that is the adrenal cocktail, which is basically just equal parts orange juice, like a good quality orange juice, coconut water, and some salt. 
it's called the adrenal cocktail because I think it's supposed to support your adrenal glands, but I looked into it and there's little evidence to actually support it having any huge benefits to your adrenal gland health, but lots of people find it helpful for maintaining stable energy throughout the day. You get some electrolytes, you're getting sodium, potassium, vitamin C. It's just a tasty little nutritious drink that you can have. I like to drink it like midday, like 1 to 4 p.m. It is delish. I'm really excited for summer as well, like on the beach, because if you blended that up with some ice and even like a little coconut milk, ooh, girl, I feel like that would be delicious. But supporting your adrenals in general is just part of managing your stress. Your adrenal glands are the ones that deal with producing hormones like cortisol that are those stress hormones. So you want to make sure that they're good and healthy so that they can do their job. Moving on to number six, another beverage that I've been incorporating so much into my day-to-day is tea. All different types of herbal tea. There are so many different kinds that support different things. I have literally so much tea every day. Red raspberry leaf tea is one of my favorites. It has tons of benefits in general for people that menstruate. Great for PMS. Not raspberry tea, specifically red raspberry leaf tea. Nettle leaf tea is another great one dandelion root tea, spearmint tea, like there's just so many great herbs that are supportive of your health and your hormones that I've been loving to incorporate day to day. And again, it's just another tasty thing to sip on besides like boring water. I sometimes even mix my tea with a little bit of like ice cold water and some lemon juice, make a little iced tea concoction. It is delicious. Moving on to number seven, which is supporting my gut health. I feel like gut health is one of those very hot topics right now, like a very trendy thing. Every time I go on TikTok, I see something about gut health. And I think it tends to make people think that there is automatically something wrong with their gut. Like there's just something wrong with all of our guts, which is not the case. I think the majority of us, most people have a normal, healthy, functioning gut. But making sure that you are supporting your gut health is important because your gut health does affect your hormones. So I've been adding a bunch of fermented food into my diet, specifically sauerkraut. I also tried kimchi, but I'm not like 100% sold on it. I don't love it, but I am a sauerkraut girl as of lately. I have been eating sauerkraut every day. It's so good. Oh my God. I got one from Market District, Giant Eagle, that has dill in it. If you know me, you know I'm a pickle girl. If there's one thing I'm going to do, it's eat pickles every day. So having something with dill in it, sign me up. But again, just make sure it's like good quality sauerkraut. It doesn't have a bunch of extra stuff in it. Bone broth is another great thing for your gut health. Bone broth is filled with vitamins and minerals and gelatin, which sounds gross, but again, it's good for your gut health. But I will warn you because I've been having some issues with the bone broth, okay? I haven't eaten meat, like, besides seafood, so chicken, beef, pork, that kind of stuff in over six years. And it's getting to the point now where it's feeling like I'm, I'm missing out on vitamins and minerals. And it's been something that's hard for me to come to terms with because I have not eaten meat in six years. And it's something that I've been passionate about, but it's getting to the point where it's affecting my health. And I think I am needing to start to incorporate some of those animal products back into my diet. So I wanted to start with bone broth. Like I don't want to just start eating meat again. And I thought bone broth would be a great place to start. It tore my stomach up. 
And so I reached out to this Facebook group that I'm in, which is centered around like healing your hormones and whatnot. And I asked like, hey, is this just me? Like, is this because I haven't eaten meat in six years? Or is this my body telling me to like stop drinking the bone broth? I was getting a horrible stomach ache. I was feeling like dizzy almost, like drunk a little bit, hungover sort of. It was a very weird experience, similar to when I was having issues with gluten, which I'm I'm able to eat little bits of gluten now. But a couple years back, I was feeling physically hungover anytime I ate gluten. And I was having a similar reaction to this bone broth. I tried both chicken and beef bone broth. And while I was Googling it, waiting for anyone to respond in this Facebook group, I saw that some people can have like histamine intolerances. I guess bone broth is high in histamines. And histamines are like similar to that feeling when you get allergies, which made sense that I was like feeling dizzy and weird and like hungover. And I was feeling really discouraged because I'm trying to do something for my gut health and for my hormone health. Something that I didn't even want to be doing. Like I I wasn't sure that I wanted to even start incorporating animal products back into my diet, but I was like, if it's going to help my health, let's do it. And then I'm feeling horrible from it. So finally I get a reply from one of the moderators in the Facebook group and she confirmed If you have compromised gut lining, you can react to the histamine content in bone broth. Beef or meat chicken stock has lower levels of histamine and contains more gelatin, proline, glycine, etc. So it's more easily digestible if the GI tract is damaged slash imbalanced. So it kind of confirmed what I got from Google. But for a hot sec there, I was like, how is my gut health messed up? How is my GI tract like imbalanced? That makes me so sad. Like, I eat pretty, quote-unquote, healthy. What the heck? And I was talking to Matt about it, my boyfriend, because I was just utterly shocked that I could have some sort of bad gut health. And he's like, you have a stomachache literally all the time. (laughs) I was like, "Mm, okay, yeah, no, you're not wrong. I do always have a tummy ache. I I do do have tummy troubles, like, nearly every day. (laughs) So it adds up, okay? So all that to say, I am working on my gut health, which clearly it really needs it. I don't know how she got damaged or what's going on, but I am incorporating lots of sauerkraut. I'm going to try to go the beef broth route instead of the bone broth route for now and see how my body tolerates that. But it's just crazy. That's something that I have run into a lot through this journey is you do these things thinking that they're good for you and and they're benefiting your health and they end up like hurting you. And it's just been very hard to find what works for me and what is actually going to help me versus hurting me like the bone broth thing. So I guess all this to kind of say, you got to find what works for you, which is kind of like my mantra of my life in general. You just got to find what works for you. But supporting your gut health in general is always a yes. Moving on to number eight, which is eat more home-cooked meals. I love a restaurant. I love to order out. I don't love cooking after work. So all of these things lend me to Uber Eats quite often, okay? And that hasn't really been working out too well for me financially um, and otherwise. I quite literally see a direct correlation in the way I feel, even the way my skin looks, to how often I'm eating out. And just like how food is medicine, it can be the other way around too. And 
some of the oils and preservatives and things that are in food that we're not making, food from restaurants, like processed food, is not always the best for hormone health. This is another thing that has been really challenging for me as someone who has struggled with their relationship with food in the past. I do not ever want to get to the place where I am restricting. So it's been really hard for me to kind of balance eating foods that I know are going to make me feel best and eating the foods that I just want, that are just good. Because in general, I would always advocate for that. Just like eat what you want. If you listen to the podcast before, you know I am a huge advocate for not restricting yourself and eating what you want. So then you throw in now like having health issues related to some of those foods that you're eating that are the foods that you want and you're like, well, what do I do now? I don't want to be restrictive. I don't want to cut out those foods that I want and sort of fall back into those old patterns, but I also don't want to hurt my health. So that's kind of been a learning process for me and I'm working on finding the balance, but overall I am trying to eat more at home. I'm trying to remake recipes that I really love from the restaurants at home. And like I said, it's benefiting me financially to do this as well. So that's kind of another kick in the butt, some extra motivation to cook at home more often. I could go way into some of the ingredients that aren't the most supportive for your hormones, but I'm not going to get into that in this episode. And again, I don't ever want to tell you or myself that you shouldn't eat something So number eight is eating at home, and another sub point to that is eating frequently. Ensuring that you're not going too long between your meals is, again, going to help those blood sugar levels, which helps your hormones, and focusing each meal on having a protein, a fat, and a fiber. Protein, fat, fiber. That's like the key combo for keeping your blood sugar stable and keeping you full and satisfied and having energy throughout your day. So please, as always, related to hormone health or not, make sure you are eating enough 1200 calories for a grown adult is not enough and I know it's hard sometimes to remember to eat or to have time to eat which is also something I'm working on doing I know myself like there are certain foods that are easy for me to grab during the day I'm currently focusing like on those foods I'm killing it on breakfast pretty good about dinner it's like the middle of the day and lunch that's so hard for me so again you got to find what's going to work best for you how you can get those meals in throughout your day, how you can make sure you're eating frequently enough. That brings us to the end of my day, which is number nine, and that is getting to bed around 10 p.m. or in general, sleeping for eight hours, getting enough sleep in general. The reason I specifically am calling out 10 p.m. is because researchers say that falling asleep between like 10 and 11 p.m. is best for your heart health. It's optimal for your circadian rhythms. Your body does a lot of repairing between the hours of like 10 and 2. So I'm always aiming to be in bed for sure by 10 p.m., but ideally asleep by like 10 to 10.30. And if that's not realistic for you, focus on getting enough sleep. Sleep has always been such an important thing for me. Like, even as a kid, I would be physically, mentally, emotionally different if I came home from a sleepover and didn't get enough sleep. My dad would always, like, joke about it. He would be like, you need to make sure you sleep enough because it literally impacted me so much. So I've always been a big sleep girly. I'm always ensuring that I'm getting eight hours at least. So number nine, what I'm doing to support my hormones is making sure I'm in bed at a decent hour and getting enough sleep so that my body can repair itself, it can have good rest, it can do the things it needs to do while I'm sleeping 
to keep me healthy and happy. And that brings us to number 10, which I kind of touched on, and that is, remember, it is what you do most of the time that makes the most impact. Like I said, I cannot be stressing about all this stuff and making sure that I'm perfect with all this stuff 24-7. It's not realistic, and that's not doing any good for me to be stressing about these things. Like, I'm trying to manage my stress. So I'm not trying to stress about the things that I'm doing to manage my stress. Like, that's silly. I'm not going to overthink the things that I'm eating. I'm not going to overthink if I go to bed at midnight one night. I'm not going to overthink if I don't get to have my breakfast within an hour of waking up. Like all of these are just things that I am striving for and aiming for and things that I'm incorporating into my life most of the time because that's what matters, what you do most of the time. So those are the 10 things that I've been doing to support my hormone health. Like I said, I have literally learned so much in the last two years since I've started paying more attention to this stuff. So I wanted to drop a few resources. Maddie Miles is one of my fave gals ever. You can follow her on Instagram at the Maddie Miles. She has her own company called Peace Love Hormones, where she has her own herbal supplement that I take that I love. I also had her on the podcast. So check out episode 17 if you want to learn more about living in sync with your cycle. We kind of go into living in sync with your cycle 101, like the very basics. It's a really good episode. Check that out. Um, the other person that I love is Menstruation Queen on Instagram. Cassandra has been such a great resource for me as well. Learned so much from both of these two ladies, so check them both out. And I hope that there's something you can take from this episode, even if you're not struggling with balancing your hormones or anything like that. All this stuff is just good to do in general. It's always good to take care of your body. Your body does so much for you, so make sure you're taking good care of it back. If you like this episode or if you're enjoying Good Human, be sure to leave a rate or review. You can follow me on Instagram at goodhumanpod to stay in the loop on all things Good Human. Or you can follow me on my personal account where I post more stuff like this, just chatting about my day-to-day -day life, whatever comes up. You can follow me at Abby underscore Wellner. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in today. That was a lot of teas, my goodness. Love you so much. And until next time, see ya.